Well, greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. It is a pleasure, as always, and a privilege to join you here with Nate Larmore and Caleb Klontz as we embark into uncharted territory. I don't think we've ever done this many episodes in one season before, which, to be fair, is our second season. But it's like, wow, we did even more than than before. So we are in the 30s. Season one, didn't we start in the fall? I I think so. (laughs) We ran out of years. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, still, we had to make fresh templates. Yes. And speaking of templates, we are going to try to mix up the template a little bit. And if you guys have feedback on that, you can let us know. Uh, Instead of doing two episodes this week, we are going to do one episode, and it's going to focus on three different sections. We're going to talk a little about what is going on in the world, kind of reduce what was our whole news-only episode into one segment. Then we're going to talk about something that we've been learning and thinking that we want to share with our families and talk about uh, in a teaching section. And then finally, we are going to have a, a section devoted to what we're learning and growing in. And so today should be fun. I'm looking forward to these topics. We have one of those rare unicorns known as a unanimous Supreme Court decision that actually has uh, significant implications for Christians and the exercise of the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to look at a truly scoundrelous, I don't think scoundrelous is a word, but it should be. I'm using it now. I'm a man of, of man of learning There's and a man of the scandalous. cloth hath, hath used it now. Yes. Before I show. It's like scandalous, but more scoundrelly. A <laughs> uh, feller and his... Uh, well, his his lesson, his parable for us and what happens if you never grow up. And then finally, we'll be looking at a topic that Caleb Klontz has been waiting, yay verily, several weeks <laughs> to bring up on the porch, but we keep <laughs> running out of time or getting off on tangents. And so we're going to make sure he gets his due today. So we're looking at Mr. Tozer and a comment on the church uh, and uh, its implications. So that's that's what we got lined up for us today, and we start with the court that is supreme. Nate, take it away. Well, the headline is the Supreme Court sides with Catholic foster agency that excludes same-sex couples in a nine-to-zero ruling. And as you said, this is a bit of a unicorn these days with a unanimous decision from the court. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote this majority opinion, and I'll just kind of give a quick rundown of what um, of what what all was included. The Supreme Court sided unanimously with a Catholic foster agency in its dispute against the city of Philadelphia. The dispute was whether it should be banned from participating in Philadelphia's foster program because it excludes same-sex couples. The group called Catholic Social Services claimed that, quote, Philadelphia's attempt to exclude the Catholic Church from foster care violated the First Amendment. Lawyers for the city, meanwhile, said that CSS, quote, lacks a constitutional right to demand that DHS offer it a contract that omits the same non-discrimination requirement of every other FFCA, um, so forth and so on. So a little bit of technical language there, legalese, but I think what was what was particularly telling, and I think some of the analysis, this is still pretty fresh. Uh, this just came out six hours ago, eight hours ago, something. Yeah, it's pretty today. hot off the presses. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what all, how all the, uh, the constitutional and how all the, uh, um, the SCOTUS and analysts uh, come out on what the what's the full significance, but certainly what caught my attention and probably your, yours as well was the 
nine to zero ruling. Very rare mm-hmm. indeed. Be very curious of the weeks ahead to understand if we ever hear how the mm-hmm. justices interacted amongst themselves to come to this unanimous ruling. But this really does bring attention back to what some folks, certainly on on the religious side of the country, deem as a continuous onslaught on the rights of religious people to act with liberty. And in this case, uh, like many other cases in recent years, the, the sexual revolution, more recently the gender revolution, but in this particular case, the sexual res- re- uh, revolution as it relates to gay marriage, it really places many social service uh, agencies, many of which are faith-based. In fact, most of the charity in this country is done uh, through faith-based organizations, it really places them in a hard spot as the federal government seeks to push its view of what discrimination is, push these views deep into all these different nonprofit agencies. In this particular case, a foster agency that because it is indeed a Catholic foster agency uh, has a belief that says we don't believe that gay marriage is 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 right. And therefore, we aren't going to allow kids that we're trying to be placed. We're not going to place in gay homes. And of course, um, in this in this era of uh, increasingly liberal views, and certainly uh, in this era of of gay rights. And here we are, Gay Pride Month uh, in June. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just seeing every company I do business with is is on board. Uh, it is interesting to mm-hmm. see, though, this comes out in the middle of all this. Uh, where we have unanimous unanimous decision that to some extent protects the foster agency based on the protects them from city of Philadelphia based on the fact that the city was infringing on their first amendment rights. Now, Chris, earlier though, you were commenting already the analysis, the, the, uh, the editorials are coming out. Uh, I think a lot of those from journalists, though, they'll be may carry a little bit of weight the one you're reading from, though, was from Alito himself, carries more weight. Um, do you have some excerpts from that that um, can kind of get our dialogue going here? Sure. Yeah. As we were talking about that earlier, it was interesting to see Alito, uh, who was very um, dismissive. Uh, the language of the one article was that he had panned the majority ruling, even though he was part of it, <laughs> That's saying that uh, it it was so intentionally narrow as to be uh, not helpful in the long term. He wrote in his typical picturesque way, this decision might as well be written on the dissolving paper sold in magic shops. which <laughs> was a pretty fantastic bit of uh, legalese from a Supreme Court justice. Uh, the city has been adamant about pressuring CSS to give in, this Catholic uh, adoption agency. And if the city wants to get around today's decision, it can simply eliminate the never used exemption power. And so there's mm-hmm. there's leeway in this rule for the city to basically just change the way that it approached the issue and still be able to force this Catholic charity uh, to, to change. And the, all indications are that um, why would they not do that? Uh, that that's almost the inevitability that comes when you don't make broad decisions on this. Cause this would have been a, a landmark case. If the Supreme court had come out and said, no, if there's a religious organization, they cannot be forced to uh, violate their convictions and they can be allowed to still function in federal programs and things like that, even with those convictions if that had been just sort of the broad ruling, 
That would have had really massive implications. Everything from Christian educational institutions to adoption agencies to you, you know, you name it, all kinds of charitable work. The fact that they did not do that means that really it's a message to the city. Um, right idea. You just didn't do your paperwork right. So try again. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid are going to happen here, especially given, as you mentioned, the liberal bias that are, is the cultural dominant narrative right now. Uh, the article I was reading on this was in CNBC. And uh, just, just, for, just for clarity, wh which organization brought this case up to the Supreme Court? I don't actually know. Was was it uh, was it the people that were LGBTQ trying to adopt children, or was it the adoption agency suing because they were being shut down? I would suspect the latter, but I'm, you that's, might be setting that's me That's my up understanding. Here. Okay. That's my understanding, <laughs> right? So then, if they get a unanimous ruling in their favor, which this is, it's a ruling not against the potential adoptees that might have wanted to go through this Catholic adoption agency. Mm. There was a ruling in favor of the Catholic adoption agency. You would think that they won the case, right? That would be the language. And yet the bullet point summary for this entire article is the Supreme Court on Thursday delivered a unanimous defeat to LGBT couples in a mm. high profile case. Huh. That's the lead. That's wow. the slant on everything these days. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. They did not they did not deliver a defeat to LGBT couples. In fact, those but LGBT couples are still able to adopt. They, they delivered a victory to a religious organization's ability to exercise mm -hmm. the the religious freedoms of their conscience that our constitution is supposedly enshrining. I think that speaks to this this bizarre redefinition of what discrimination actually is. Um, and, right. I, and I go back to in California last decade, there was the whole prop eight initiative, which actually passed. It did. Um, Do you know why it passed? Well, I was living down there at the time. So I know that there was um, from where I lived in San Diego County, there was a lot of press, uh, a lot of um, people were drumming up support for the proposition, but I, I'm curious mm -hmm. what you would, I don't know. You might've been down there at the time yeah, as well. I was. Yeah. And it was fascinating because if, if voter turnout that year had been typical, it would have lost. Mm. There was one demographic where Prop 8 overwhelmingly succeeded. And it happened to be a demographic that typically did not turn out in large numbers, except that there was this guy on the ballot by the name of Barack Obama, mm. who brought a certain demographic out in historically unheard of numbers, and it was those voters, strong support for Prop 8, that actually passed that isn't particular that, bit of legislation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, what I was, what brought Prop 8 to mind was at the time, those that were fighting against Prop 8, mm -hmm. uh, in fa basically those that were trying to redefine marriage to include gay couples as it related to the state of California, what you often heard from that, from that group of activists was we're not taking anything from you. We just want the same rights that others have. 
Right. It won't affect you at all. And this is always, and, and I'm, I'm picking this because it is a, you hear this again and again, mm-hmm. you, uh, people of, people of conservative values, traditional morality, conservative Christians, uh, there, there are mm-hmm. others too that are non-Christians that still believe in, in, in similar family and, and ethical values. Correct. A lot of times in these debates, you hear an argument that I have to say is flatly just deceptive. No, no. Yeah. If you give in on this, no, it doesn't impact you at all. And the reality yeah. is, though, once you give in to the exception, what we've mm-hmm. seen is through the marketing engine here in the U.S. on these on these liberal values, it the exception becomes the norm. And if you don't abide by it now, you're the outlier. And I think this yes. uh, it, it does remind me of the Colorado case of this baker that continues to be harassed. I mean, it really is incredible <laughs> how the state of California, oh, mercy. I mean, you can't tell me at this point that when someone walks into his, his shop and asks for a transgender cake, or a cake can't be <laughs> transgender, but a transgender celebration cake or a gay bear, you can't tell me they didn't walk in there for the express purpose mm-hmm. of setting him up for a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It is incredible how the state of, uh, state of Colorado has not only gone along with this kind of harassment, mm-hmm. they've really intentionally weaponized themselves to go after people who don't believe a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. I think city of Philadelphia, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are there no other foster agencies in the city? I'm <laughs> sure there are other foster agencies in the city. So it's not that LGBT couples don't have access. Mm-hmm. It's simply that they want access from every agency. And I think it's, yep. it's, if, um, it, it's just interesting to me how the government... Has we hear a lot, not so much lately, by the way, but you hear mm-hmm. a lot over the past, up and up until probably the last five years about separation of church and state, which is nowhere in government documents. It's simply referenced by Thomas Jefferson when talking about government structure. You hear a lot about that. Oh, we need to have separation of church and state. However, what we're experiencing now is a violation of the same principle because this may not be a church, but it is a religious belief system right? Uh, that is being pushed now through the state into a variety of other areas. So I think, uh, uh, I think it's an, it's an encouraging decision to see, cause I, I must say it's, I, <laughs> I'm uh, glad it didn't go the other way as narrow and limited, I and limited expect- as it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have expected it did go the other way because these days there's a valid question to be asked, not just in the mm-hmm. context of, of a faith-based group's ability to, to perform in the way that that is consistent with their beliefs. But there's a question to be asked. Does, does the freedom of speech even exist anymore? And people, and I absolutely as an absolute, no. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a degree to which that's been that way since the beginning. Um, Yeah. There's reasons why you can't go into a crowded theater and yell fire. Mm. (laughs) So it's always been some limits on speech. Actually, Probably could, but you probably get sued. But I, I, I but oh, no, you go to jail. I do go back to <laughs> that. That is a crime. I, I do go back don't, don't to do though. Um, the this idea of discrimination has become, if anyone anywhere disagrees with me, and I'm aware of it, it's a form of discrimination yeah. against me, and and not just disagrees. In, in, well, and it is. It is discrimination. It is discrimination, but discrimination is not inherently an evil. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you're now we're talking about two forms. Of, I, we just went to, uh, you know, we went to that fine culinary establishment down the street called Nom Nom. Right? To, I had, had to turn off my mm-hmm. discriminating taste buds. And but I yes. went in there and I got a hot dog. <laughs> I did indeed. And there was not one, but there was like five different kinds of hot dogs spinning on those little roller dealies. Mm-hmm. And I looked at this one 
I looked at that one. And, and by the time I was done, I had considered all five hot dog variants. And then I discriminated against four of them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which everybody who's ever bought a hot dog at that particular establishment who hasn't done so with their eyes closed has done. And people would say, well, yes, that's how you pick out a hot dog. But I have discriminated. Now, the question is, is that discrimination justified or is it not justified? You should that's have bought the all question. five. Right? That would be ridiculous. Or you, should, <laughs> or you probably should have bought none. Then they would all be equally discriminated uh, against. Right. Yes. And that's, that's the direction our culture is moving. Mm-hmm. Discrimination itself is a mark positively of maturity. Uh, those who can discriminate well are mature. Those who discriminate in an evil way or in a foolish way, that is mm-hmm. a mark of immaturity. This, this reminds me that we are in an era here where it's not good enough to be, to quietly disagree with me. You must actively loudly join me to the extent that I feel satisfied that you are in support of me. There was a, I believe it was Tom Hanks wrote a guest editorial in the New York times recently. And he actually dealt with uh, racism, you know, in a way in his editorial. Hmm. And one of the critiques that came out shortly after was it's clear that he is a non-racist, but he really should be an anti-racist. That's the new category. And so we we live in this time where it it really is not good enough that you have your rights live and let live. Mm -hmm. No, you must agree with me. And, and, And you must join me in my activism on the things that are important to me. And you must attack yourself in those areas where you have implicit privilege, right? If, right. So if, if it's not enough to say, let's all be on an equal footing, it's also not enough to say even let's put a, a step stool over here. You must dig a hole beneath your feet. Uh, that is that is what will make you no, not unracist, but it will make you not somebody who needs to be eliminated from our future anti-racist society. It, it's incredibly toxic. And I know we're getting a little bit far afield from the original subject, but I, I want to connect this back a little bit because underneath all of these things are inescapably moral convictions because mm-hmm. we all went, yay, this Catholic mm-hmm. charity is able to say, we're going to take traditional Judeo-Christian values and we're going to apply them consistently to what we're doing. And so we do not recognize that that a marriage between two men or two women constitutes an, an actual family unit the way that God designed it to be. And therefore, we do not want to support bringing children into that union because we don't believe that that's the design for family. So we said, great, it's good that they had their permission to do that. Would you be as excited or agree with the Supreme Court decision if it was that there was a spinoff of some other religious group in that city that said our conviction based off of our whatever divine revelation decided that two black people doesn't don't constitute a sufficiently evolved enough family to be able to properly raise children. And so we will not pursue adoptions or allow adoptions into families where the parents are black. Would would you say, wow, I'm boy, I'm so glad that the Supreme court ruled in their favor. That's a, that's a wonderful victory for free speech. Or would you say, "Mm, no, that seems like exactly the kind of thing that should not be allowed to take place in society. I think you could, you could condemn it for the horrible belief that it is while 
appreciating the fact that in this country, they would have the freedom to make a horrible choice. Uh, And I think that's the issue at hand these days, is that it seems like we are, as citizens, we're not allowed to hold two conflicting opinions. I mean, meaning they're not in conflict with one another, but there's layers to this. So I think, though, back to your point, that would be a clear demonstration of discrimination. Um, and not the good kind. Certainly. Like that, absolutely. That yeah. would be wicked. Wic- that would be wicked to have a policy well, like that. Immoral. Cer- uh, and mm-hmm. the reason we we define immoral by contrary to what the Bible teaches. Right. Um, and certainly and certainly legally uh, it will be illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ought to be. But it, yep. at times in history, that has not been illegal mm-hmm. to make those kinds of rulings. Caleb. Is Caleb still he's in the room? Munching, I know. He's just literally munching nuts and watching us go at it. I was trying to fall asleep listening to you banter back and forth, actually. I got to eat some nuts. I don't know what that lounging chair on the porch is that Caleb's in, but it must be really comfortable. Yeah, I'm like dozing today. He I'm must sorry, have been guys. up all night preparing preparing his remarks <laughs> for the show. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably what it is. He's just been reading so much Tozer. He's in his mystical uh, oh man, no. uh, transcendent space. But you go back Sorry. to, there is a moral fabric that holds a society together. Yeah. And when, and, and it can be torn. And at the mm-hmm. point that it begins to tear, mm-hmm. uh, you really begin to struggle with how can you have a country that where you have people that do not mm-hmm. share the same values. Right. And it's more displaced than torn. Yeah. Right? And I, I don't There's even competitors mean, that emerge in the culture and vie yeah. for dominance. And that's, I think, one of the legitimate fears. People talk about the potential for, for civil war. I don't even think that is even possible in terms of guns and bombs and whatnot. But you do start to, and you're seeing this now with the way people are migrating towards certain states because the state has a political belief that that reinforces their personal beliefs or they believe in a certain uh, more traditional view mm-hmm. of what rights are and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see this migration take place. Right. The um, great sort, as they call it. Yeah. For example, this lawsuit that came out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. more than likely you wouldn't find there's certain states where you wouldn't find this lawsuit because there wouldn't have been a decision made against the agency. Right. Right. So you see this mm-hmm. sort of this sort of I would call it religious discrimination happening in the, in the bad kind. Uh, you have it happens in certain states and it doesn't happen in others. Agreed. So it does it does get to larger questions of what is the role of the government, because uh, I think we would all agree that. The fact that somebody claims something as a religious conviction does not give them carte blanche uh, to to simply hand wave away all other rules in society, right? If if our religious, sincerely held religious beliefs mean that we need to sacrifice our firstborn children to the god Molech, uh, I would very much hope that there would be a unanimous Supreme Court decision (laughs) shooting down that First Amendment freedom that they were trying to exercise there. And it it speaks to the fact that our Constitution was written with an understanding that the government is one institution in society and that it had a specific role and function and that it was to work in cooperation with another institution of society called the church that would create and establish a shared set of moral convictions and that the government would then reflect 
and be uh, be able in its capacity to to work with that set of shared moral convictions. And what we're seeing right now is is a big moral displacement. And so th- there's things that cannot be simultaneously true, and that's th- those battle lines are all around us. Whether it be um, the the feminist notion that there are things unique about being a woman that are particularly glorious and to be protected and deserving of rights and all that stuff. And simultaneously that man and woman is a spectrum across which any person can translocate at will at any time, right? Both of those values cannot be true in the same way at the same time. Uh, There's also what we're seeing here, either it is, the greatest moral value that every person gets to conduct their lives, their uh, their understanding of family, their understanding of love, their understanding of fill in the blank, uh, completely autonomously. Either that's the greatest value, or there are values in society that transcend those personal desires, and that there are certain people that need to be told, "No, that's not okay. We won't we won't recognize that." And in both cases, those decisions are going to have to be made by something that's going to not be derived simply from the Constitution, but from a set of moral convictions that will eventually shape the Constitution. Well, the founders, can't remember which one, talked about how the Republic, Democratic Republic, only works when you have a nation that has a certain kind of character. Yeah, uh, immoral people. It is un- wholly unfit right. to govern any other. I think was was that Adams. Mm-hmm. I there, think. Well, was, if you if you give power to the people, the fact in a, in a monarchy there are good monarchies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not many, but you have a good monarchy. In which case, if the ruler is moral and just, mm-hmm. um, in the if if you shift that power from a central person out to the people. You can have a healthy republic if that people are moral and just. Yeah. Um, Every system of government could succeed fantastically with righteous people. mm -hmm. But there's a kind of an asterisk after that. Well, and what we see now is everybody's sinful without, (laughs) without a common morality, without a, without a sense of right and wrong. uh, Because right now we're defining our, our, our culture is defining right is whatever I feel. Uh, and they haven't dealt with the obvious contradiction of what if the way I feel is right is different from yours. They, it's been ignored largely. But um, when you have uh, when you have this kind of uh, nebulous morality that that the that us, our nation has embraced, you it's no it's no wonder that when it comes to questions of who's right and who's wrong, it it falls into this last resort safety net called the legal system. And the Constitution was never designed to be making moral determinations. Mm. <laughs> Just read it. It's not designed at all to, to be a moral statement or an ethical way of life. It was designed mm-hmm. to hold a government at bay. And that was really what it was designed to do. Right. Based on certain, I would argue, at least theological presuppositions. I mean, just the very statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident that what? All, all men are created yeah. by God. Mm. Uh, that that statement in and of itself has massive legal implications downstream from it yeah. and what they meant when they wrote that. And so that there's no way you can separate 
the relationship between a church and a state in any society. Uh, the the church is either going to um, have a, a blessed effect on the society by creating the environment in which the state can do its job appropriately, or even in its absence, it's going to have a massive effect on the society by creating the vacuum into which tremendous evil will eventually overrun the state. And so the, I think one of the takeaways for me from a, a decision like this is thank you. Thank you, Lord, that this decision went the way it did. That's good for now. But what we're seeing is we're, we're happy every time the wrecking ball swings by this massive edifice known as the United States of America and major parts parts of the building don't collapse. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. It only knocked a small piece off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. But that's, that is a lot, that is just losing slower. And, and what we need to be doing is, is the positive part. There's a, there is a very intentional progressive force that is clawing and tugging and burning and tearing down on purpose. They're, they're trying to dismantle the, the role of the church is not to just clutch our pearls and, and be very upset about that. Uh, the role of our church is we need to be building. We need to be building up and not trying to build up through the state because that's not the state's job, but to be building up through our families as, as three fathers here, um, through through our relationship with our wives and our children and the way that we're teaching them and discipling them through the way that we're serving in our churches and making those places where healthy, blessed society can be seen and where it can be an argument in and of itself. I would add your neighbors. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, it's interesting. A, a people that has no character, a, a nation that has no character, a people that mm-hmm. lack morality actually require totalitarianism. Otherwise they tear each other apart, Phys- literally. Yeah. And, and, and so. And they'll beg for that tyrant when that time comes. Absolutely. We've seen it time and time again. And so as, as believers, uh, rather than cling to a particular politician that appeals to you or something like that, you want to change the world. Uh, spread good character. And the way you do that is by spreading the gospel and, and by being and living it out, not just in the confines of your own home as you consume news or something like that. Get out of your house, get to know your neighbors, let them get to know you. That mm-hmm. is how you, you, that's how the gospel is spread person to person. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I think there's a temptation uh, there was a, uh, there've been a number of books written on this over the past 40, 50 years, but there was a, there is a temptation to hunker down in the monastery, so to speak, except the monast the modern monastery is my home, my church. Mm-hmm. I go to a Christian barber. I play, I play billiards in a Christian billiards league. Mm-hmm. That's probably not even allowed. Right. Um, <laughs> I, my whole, I'm right. I, create I've, a Christian ghetto. <laughs> I, I've created a bubble. Yeah. That moves around wherever I go. And, and I don't want to interact with the world because I don't like them. And, <laughs> and it's no wonder you're not, I mean, we're a salt and light we're meant to be interacting with the world and not being slouched downwards by it, mm-hmm. but introducing them to the savior. So right. I th- I, I'm, I think uh, there's hope here. I mean, the Lord has put us here for such a time as this Esther comes to mind, right? He placed her 
in a certain position for a certain set of challenges, um, in that case, a, a pending genocide. In our case, he's placed mm-hmm. us here for a certain set of challenges with certain certain gifts, certain brotherhood around us to help us, and certain responsibilities. Yep. And that's that's an exciting adventure because we know the, the Lord of history. And so this this case went in a direction we we're encouraged about. The next one might you mentioned it starts with, we don't want anything from you. Just let us do what we're going to do. And it turns into, you need to celebrate what we're doing, even if you don't like it. And then it eventually it moves into, we're going to send helicopters to find you in the woods so we can throw you in jail if you're mm. not doing what we say. Ooh, that sounds and like a headline I had it read recently. It does. From, and maybe we'll have to talk about yes. that one some other time. But what that, happened that to is Canada? the progression. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but we can acquit ourselves well for the Lord in, in any of those seasons. But I think it's time to move on to our next segment. Sure. Let Agreed. me wake, let me wake up Caleb. Okay then. Uh, Caleb. 30, 32 minutes in already. Oh, he's up. <laughs> oh, he is up. There we go. Probably browsing. I'm, we're not going to have time for my segment again, are we? Well, if you stop Amazon. napping, you know, you can keep the conversation moving along a little faster here. Doing your you guys are doing there. a good job. <laughs> Jean-Jacques Rousseau, born 1712. So we are talking about an old dude, but a dude who has had an outsized impact on the world. Um, it's a, a character that I, I think um, ought to be given a lot more attention in our educational system than we often do. He's sort of like the stealth puppet master. I was going to say, he mm. actually is given a ton of attention. Just no one <laughs> knows his name, except right. for a few history and philosophy geeks. <laughs> and, and when I think of this guy, one of the people that comes to mind, if I were to try to find a literary... Um, or at least mythological comparison is the Wizard of Oz, mm, yes. right? Somebody who has this facade of incredible power and control and influence and and uh, and beneficence and all this kind of stuff. But then uh, you pull the curtain back and you're like, what? Yeah, that's disappointing. That's yeah. who, that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> if if the Wizard of Oz character hadn't simply just been sort of a, a rather benign. Jovial small man fellow. yeah yes. but had actually been a pretty evil scoundrel mm-hmm. uh as uh nate and i were talking uh i gave him a book to read he gave me a book to read uh i gave him the rise and uh, triumph of the modern self he gave me the intellectuals and both of them within the first chapter are going after rousseau <laughs> in uh, very different ways but yes yeah. <laughs> uh for being really uh a major part of the problem that we're seeing in the world today, but I particularly liked in the intellectuals, the observation that was made that Rousseau was basically a child that managed to turn being a child into a way of living as an adult with tremendous success. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just to throw a, a little meat on those bones, we don't have time for a lengthy biography on Rousseau, but here's a guy who grew up and thought the world of himself. He was convinced mm. that he was the smartest person, the kindest person, the most big-hearted person, that nobody ever loved humanity as much as he, that he had nearly inexhaustible physical stamina and endurance and all of these things to be able to give himself to the task of bettering the world in a way nobody else could, and simultaneously that nobody suffered more or endured more weakness than he did and therefore was more to be pitied or who deserved to have, uh, you know, the, the kindnesses of others shown towards him. He was somebody that claimed to understand exactly what to do with everybody's children 
and yet birthed five illegitimately, immediately dropped them off at an orphanage that had like a 30% survival rate or Mm -hmm, something, mm -hmm. and only ever tried to even contact one unsuccessfully years later when one of the children, uh, one of the the mothers of his children was dying and said she would like to see one of her children (laughs) before she died. Um, And so he wrote a couple letters and didn't hear anything back and then just let her die. Um, It, it, he, he, he cavorted yes. um, for the purpose of, of having places to live. Mm-hmm. He, he was a moocher on the highest Extraordinaire. level. And the only reason he really got away with all of this is he had a skill. He had a, a brilliant writing talent. Yep. Uh, and, he, and he had a brilliant ability for speaking. Uh, but it is amazing what a manipulative jerk this guy was, self yeah. self absorbed, and and to, and also the people that were most generous with him, letting him stay. And it's amazing the elite's fascination with this guy. Right? What is it about the wealthy? Maybe it's because there's something happens, right? Certain amount of zeros in the bank where you seem to suddenly lose your sense of self-esteem and common sense. Yeah. And and so the elite Jasmine is always interested in Aladdin. Oh, yes. <laughs> Why? Except Aladdin is usually not just a gold hearted diamond in the rough. Well, in this case, I think, uh, JJ Rousseau might've been, um, Jafar. <laughs> uh, hard yeah. to say. He's definitely the villain of his own story. Uh, that's interesting yeah. too. Isn't that the truth about all people? They always, nobody goes around, everybody kind of views themselves in their life story, right? No one views themselves as the villain. Even villains don't view, they view themselves as the hero. Clearly he's the hero. It's a, he, his life story is a mixture of tragedy, comedy, and heroics where he's the ultimate victim while simultaneously the champion of humanity. When you just mm-hmm. look at his life, um, you look at someone as, as really just wasted his life. Having said that, though, his influence is so profound right. on the way modern people think. It is truly mm-hmm. stunning. I don't think any of his contemporaries would have ever imagined um, that it, that he would essentially dominate the Western world with the way these ideas he came up with. Any of his contemporaries that knew him well, right? Right. Personally, because they, in number of those, a couple of those, actually both books, I think, note uh, that many of the big thinkers and movers and shakers of the day that had read Rousseau or heard of Rousseau had all these glowing things to say about him by reputation. Mm-hmm. But then the people that knew him well you could watch their estimation go from this guy's the most amazing thing since sliced bread to I wouldn't give this guy a piece of sliced bread you know, to save his life. I've known some people like this. You meet him initially and you're like, wow, what an interesting mm-hmm. person. And the longer you get to know him, the more uh, repellent they are because you get to know them. You know? Well, that's, except for those who are trying to be repugnant. I think that's generally what happens to a greater or lesser degree with everybody. Sure. You always see people's weaknesses. Uh, the longer you get to know them. Sure. And we're more reminded the longer we know people that they're not Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is always going to be a reminder why we need Jesus. Right. We're never going to find the hero who just becomes more heroic the more we ever know them and we don't need another hero. It's always going to be, there's the fatal flaw. Rousseau just didn't seem to have anything but fatal flaws. Oh, and, and, and in particular, as you set this up, one of his probably most dramatic character flaws is that he was Peter Pan. Never yes. wanted to grow up. 
always wanted to live in Neverland, but also wanted to be taken seriously. And I think that's interesting that there is a, even today, you see this sometimes we're in media, uh, there's this, well, you know, we, we need to listen to the children. They have the answers. And so there's this, this elevation, this celebration that wisdom is found in the children. That is the last place to look for wisdom. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't cherish our kids, but the whole point of nurturing and raising kids is to teach them, teach the childishness out of them. There's nothing. Right. It's interesting. There's a, did you guys, quick question, maybe you haven't seen this, right? But there was this kid that was making the rounds on, uh, I think he went on the Ellen, De, uh, Ellen DeGeneres show or something like that. And he was this adorable little kid. That somehow he, he, he got interviewed by a local news station at the time he was at a fair and they, it was just totally happy, you know, chance that they interviewed him and they asked him how he liked the fair. And he was this kid who kept saying little fellow and it was adorable. He kept using the word actually for everything he said. He's like, well, actually, I I hear about that. <laughs> and uh, I like this ride, but actually I'm here with my grandpa <laughs> and he had this little lisp and he was adorable. And so this <laughs> thing caught fire, went viral. Uh-huh. He went on a talk show and he's, he's this hilarious little kid. Um, my kids saw it and they're like, that's so funny. He's so funny. I'm like, you know, what's not going to be funny is at age 25 when he's trying to do the same thing, right? Right. There's nothing mm-hmm. more obnoxious than adults trying mm-hmm. out the same thing that got him attention as kids. And in his case, um, Rousseau, mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about a guy that had immense childishness in terms of his character. Yeah. And the Bible doesn't say that. Innocent wisdom is bound up in the heart of a child, but the jadedness of parents in the grown world will drive it far from him, you know, that, which is sometimes how our culture seems to act. And, and that, that comes from a basic view of man that, you know, we're a tabula rasa or basically good and that um, nature doesn't really account for our, our condition. It's mostly nurture, that, mm-hmm. that sort of stream of thinking. And, and that, that will destroy worlds. Uh, if you run with that, and Rousseau is an example of that, it destroyed his life and his ideas have infected the world in ways that have brought about tremendous suffering. And I, as uh, dads, you know, this is kind of the segment where we're going to focus a little more on what we want to communicate from our heart to our families, to those that we are having the privilege to to raise. Um, and that is not that as little children, we despise you because you're foolish, because there is nothing in in the hearts of our children, especially as parents, that we don't recognize all too well. Oh, it came from us. I know exactly where <laughs> right. not only sin in general, but that particular proclivity <laughs> came from. Sorry, uh, that that's that's not the issue. But the issue is, I think sometimes as children, you wonder why are these things such a big deal. Why is it such a big deal that I learn to joyfully submit to authority? Why is it such a big deal that I learn to control my impulses? Why is it such a big deal that I form patterns of discipline and hard work and endurance? Why is it such a big deal that I am forced to, to have delayed gratification? I know, why are these things such a big deal? And the answer is because unless those things are formed in you, you won't magically outgrow them when you become an adult. You'll just be an old child and you will bring such misery upon yourself and upon all those who are around you that it is a unloving and hateful thing not to aggressively show you what is good and what is right now. And it'd be nice if there was a way to fast forward and you know, give 
Mm. children a vision of their lives, you know, 30 years down the road, if they do or do not listen to that particular lesson you're trying to deliver in the moment. But these things literally are matters of life and death. And that's the language scripture often uses Mm. to communicate them. Isn't it interesting? The anecdotal evidence of that is so many and virtually all child movie stars, child music stars, you watch any kind of biography on these, right. on these, just in, you know, in terms of wealth and fame, phenomenally successful. Almost every one of them, if you think about it, is so because of their success, so catered to, not raised to become an adult, but catered to, so that they're always pleased in their childhood. Got to keep the keep them happy. Almost right. all of them meets dramatic issues. Um, sometimes death, uh, but certainly addictions and sorrow and heartbreak yeah. because no one stepped in to be a parent. Um, in fact, a lot of these parents decided- And it is a parent. That's Nobody right. was a parent. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of these parents decided to be, oh, I'll be the manager. No, no, be mm-hmm. a parent. Right. Um, that's what that's what kids need um, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, all those childish traits, you just rattled through a kind of a list of to-dos, things that the parents are trying to raise yeah. or form or nurture in their kids. If you if you were to take all those values and show the opposite of mm-hmm. those values, like, that, is that what you want to become as an adult? Mm-hmm. Uh, no other adults want you to become that. Uh, you'll be mm-hmm. a danger to society right. and to yourself. And behind all of them is the most important change that must take place in the heart of every child if they wish to be happy. And that is that the controlling affection of their life has to transition from themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, Yes. And all of those things are in service to that relationship. And so it is, it's not this environment of discipline that I'm talking about. It's, we tend to think of discipline just as like getting a spanking or something always negative, but that's not what it is. Right. Uh, If you go to a, basketball practice, everything you're doing during that basketball mm. practice is discipline. It's training towards excellence in what you're doing. And so if, if you're rewarding your children for doing something well by, Hey, you know, good job, Noah. He's been learning to mow the lawn along with my daughter and, and these things working hard, working up a sweat, come on in, let's, let's um, sit down and, and share a Coke together or something. That's discipline, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is discipline. Uh, the, the discipline that we demonstrate towards our children positively, sometimes negatively, um, that all has that behind it, that relational component. And Rousseau is a, such a great example of a man who, because he only loved himself, deceived himself into thinking he loved everybody else better than anyone else. But his entire life is one long series of hatreds worked out. Uh, in every relationship that he was involved in. And that is what we would wish to spare our children from. And so I think as, you know, as dads, that's a pretty high calling and it's a big responsibility that we have uh, because this trickles out beyond even just our families, which is why Nate and I aren't going to say anything until Caleb has now introduced his topic and uh, giving us some background on it because we do want to prove that you actually were here for this here. taping I, I of, going, mm. of the porch. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten as many mm-hmms as usual. Yeah, that's, that's just dragging this afternoon. It's too hot in here. It is a little warm. Um, <laughs> I can't function in this heat. <laughs> it's nap time. Uh-huh. Well, well, uh, what's old A.W. got for us? A.W. A.W. Tozer. No, uh, I guess the uh, the thing I wanted to talk about three weeks ago 
or whatever it was. But <laughs> when I was seeing this uh, kind of a response, actually a, a response uh, by a lot of Christian people um, using a quote by Tozer. Um, you kind of see it in like a meme form, if you will, you know, one of those little uh, images. I've seen it on Facebook a lot. Um, kind of in response to what's happening in Canada, for example, with churches being, you know, pastors being arrested and, uh, you know, and churches being, being locked, uh, locked up and then, uh, buildings being taken away from churches, things like that. And, um, you know, there's been some response like, well, you know, we cared about the first one, but now we're kind of become an old hat and, you know, mm-hmm. now it's just, oh yeah, another pastor, another pastor arrested, another church fined and, you know. A million dollars or whatever. Another church pursued by government helicopters <laughs> to find out where they're meeting in the woods. Yeah, yes. well, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, this is the plot to so a television episode that was like, nah, that's too unrealistic I, I last year. headline out of Calgary. It's like, are you in- insane? What was the cost <laughs> per hour? That's not an environmentally friendly way to crack down on the church. No. Goodness no. gracious. So, hey, sorry, Kev. No, no, you're good. Um, but, uh, yeah, so basically... Uh, people uh, posting this this quote by A.W. Tozer, and I like A.W. A. Tozer. Um, I've ever read a number of his books, um, especially when I was younger. In fact, uh, more like in my younger twenties. And uh, we, when when naming our firstborn son, Linda would not go with the name Adriel that I had picked. Oh come on, which is very why. biblical. But anyway, I mean, so did- we ended up. You remembered when you were considering Adriel that middle school exists, right? Well, and <laughs> and and it does sound similar to Ariel. I get that, but uh, anyway, that poor kid—he would have been the toughest kid, though, yep. based on the Johnny Cash. Anyway, so we uh, we did settle on an A name, Aiden, mm-hmm. uh, Aiden Wilson Tozer, and uh, it became a very popular name. But anyway, mm. that's a whole other whole other segment, whole other story. There's a lot of Aidens in that age category, are slightly below yes, him a are. year or two now, and I'm not sure what. I think everybody was like, interesting name, and they're going through, and they got to Aiden, and they went, nah, that's about as far as we're able to go, <laughs> willing to go in the name book. It's an A. Um, that would but, be very interesting is to find how many names are popular at a certain level down the page of scrolling exactly. through the top that's baby right. names websites. Like, everybody just sort of taps out right about here. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, A.W. Tozer, here's the quote that is often quoted, and I don't know what the context in which Aiden Wilson Tozer um, – Quoted this, but it, it's this. If you burn down the church building and drive away all the people, you have not disturbed Christian worship at all. Keep a Christian from entering the church sanctuary, and you have not in the least bit hindered his worship. We carry our sanctuary with us. We never leave it. And so here's uh, the beginning of it. I think we we, we all agree I, on a certain level. We can agree with this quote regardless. Um, but he says, you know, you burn down the church building, drive the people away, and you haven't disturbed Christian worship at all. Maybe. Um, I guess I'd, I'd love to get your guys' kind of feedback on it. Originally, this was going to be like a quote review, and I was going to say, yeah, what do you guys think of this? And, you know, maybe if you guys thought there was some positive stuff, then I was going to go, yeah, I don't like it. Oh, you're um, going to set us up, eh? I wasn't trying to set you up. I, I don't like the quote for, for a number of reasons. But uh, I think what, what it it is trying to say is that Christians can worship, you know, we worship, our lives are to be be lived out as, as an offering, right? As worship to the Lord, everything we do is worship. So yes, there is a sense in which um, you don't need to 
have a church building to worship. But there's a reason why when the building is gone, God's people go out into the forest somewhere, the woods somewhere in Canada, and gather together to worship. And we're called, commanded in Hebrews, not to forsake the gathering together, mm-hmm. right, of the saints. We were, we're called to to gather, and we need Christian community both in, in our worship, but also we are not saved to be alone. And I think that there's there's a certain tendency to go, well, I can still have my faith and believe what I want, and I can read my Bible on my own. So if I can't go to church, oh, well. What do you think of that, Chris? I disagree. Oh. What? <laughs> Surprise. Well, there's there's an importance to Christian community, right? I mean, there's a reason why mm-hmm. the three of us decided, hey, mm-hmm. we want to get together and chat together in a podcast. And part of that was because we were already doing this to some degree mm-hmm. Be- mm-hmm. before the podcast was ever really thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a a dualism that's often in the thinking of mystics in particular that can be unhelpful in this. Mm-hmm. It can be helpful when the society skews uh, to Aristotelian, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will, where um, we're, we're too hung up on the externals. Uh, but it, it constantly ends up wanting to tug us not back to the center of a balanced biblical worldview. It ends up pulling us all the way over into Platonism. Mm-hmm. And that that's unhelpful. Uh, and what I mean by that is the external expression of the Christian faith is the Christian faith. It is mm-hmm. part of the Christian faith, right? It's, yeah. it's not simply the trappings. It's not the robe of the Christian faith, but we, we demonstrate we have faith in Jesus Christ when we physically gather together the way he commanded us to, mm-hmm. when we physically speak the truth and love to each other as he's commanded us to, when we physically do the things in obedience that he's commanded us to, that's what love for God looks like. You cannot have a mystical love for God that's not expressed in tangible obedience. And that's one things we've been looking at in John as a repeating theme. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's where I think um, the mystics are helpful when we confuse the Christian faith for the building we're meeting in. Sure. And that is also a tendency. We can move our faith entirely to externals. Yeah. And because I'm going to the right place and because I'm saying the right words and because I've improved on it by making my robes fancier and I've made my church gold and I've sworn off watching even PG rated movies, mm-hmm. right? I've I completely externalized the evaluation of my, my Christian faith as these things I'm doing. Mm-hmm. devoid of the relationship that we have with God. That's wrong. And occasionally mystics like, I would, and I would put A.W. Tozer there, um, mm-hmm. pietistic at least, yeah. if not fully mystic. Um, they're going, hello. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the heart of this needs to be the heart, not the outside. Uh, and that can be a helpful tug back on the chain. But then they okay. tend to keep tugging until all of a sudden all the things that matter are things that happen inside mm-hmm. in an invisible spiritual place. And that's also wrong. And, yeah. and in a culture like ours, um, that's, I think the greater temptation that at least our neck of the woods deals with. Cause I don't, I don't hear a lot um, from our, from our youth. I, I, you know, I rarely hear them come along and say, Hey, you know what? I don't need to love Jesus because you should see the shrine 
I have in my room, you know, to the mm. saints and my collection of church history books. You should see the royal vestments I wear to church on Sunday. <laughs> you know, that's not what I hear. Mm-hmm. But do I hear them coming along sometimes and saying, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. Mm. Right? And it's not about what you do, it's about how you feel about Jesus. Yeah, you do still hear that stuff. Yeah. And that's that's Plato snickering at you. <laughs> mm. That's not Jesus talking. Sure. Or calling, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I, what comes to mind, too, is that we're many members of one body. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> like how Nate's like, uh-huh, let's actually get down to... <laughs> <laughs> what does the Bible say? Blah, 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 you, blah, you, blah. You lost me at Platonic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, know I, I know I didn't lose you at Platonic. <laughs> I wanted to go down that Aristotelian route, but it, I, I, I think... Uh, for I do have a question just to, to kind of set this up. What is it about Christian theologian types that they go by the first two initials and then the last name. Yeah. If you could just see Jake Lantz from now on. It's yeah. because a lot of godly people give their children redonkulous names. That is probably why. Right? Like if you were named Clive Staples. <laughs> I wanted to name my next child Clive. That was, that was the next one. CS, right? Clive, no. Staples, no. Lewis, <laughs> I can live with Lewis. I did tell Linda if we had a fourth boy. Clive was definitely going to be on the table. And? We didn't have another boy. So. <laughs> well, what's so funny about it is earlier, before the show, like you said Tozer's full name. And I, I mean, the first two words, I was like, who's what he, is he, he talking about? Tozer, I'm like, oh, he means A.W. That's <laughs> A.W. That's right. C.S. A.W. Yep. Packer. Same deal, right? J.I. J. I. I mean, it's, C.J. It's, 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 uh, mm-hmm. our, 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 um, our friend, Mr. Burns. Uh, Ed, what's his first name? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do know what it is. Because <laughs> I mean, uh, because they all hung out in libraries, and so they're just used to you know, it's filed last name, yes. comma doesn't matter. <laughs> Spurgeon, what was his middle name? Ch Charles Haddon. Charles Haddon. So does he go Spurgeon. by Ch or did was, he might have Ch? Well, he I don't know if anybody called him Chuck. <laughs> I doubt Chuck was an option. Dl. What was uh, or Charlie? What, what was Dwight? Dwight? Moody's I don't middle know name. what his middle name was. DL? What was the L for? Dwight? Lloyd, maybe, or something? I don't know. Lloyd, that'll get I you actually have up. a big deal. Yeah. yeah book on the shelf right behind you, Nate. But anyway. Yeah. Oh, right. We're going to so, sidetrack. We're going to do it again. <laughs> Lyman. Third time in a Lyman. Row. Oh, no Lyman. wonder. Lyman. Okay. L-Y-M-A-N. No wonder he went with DL. Yeah. He probably I'd be, was, he's probably I'd be get, moody if that was my middle name. Probably getting beat up oh, every my. day. Billy Sunday. Now, there's a guy that, um, <laughs> well, he couldn't have gone with initials. That wouldn't have been good. Yeah. But there's there's certain guys, uh, Billy Grant. Okay. The Billies, the Billies mm-hmm. don't go with the initials, but Billy's anyway. is just a good accessible name, but tell us yeah. more about Tozer. Yeah. Okay. Or at least more about, well, tell you more about Tozer, but we can talk more about this issue. Yes. Tell me about <laughs> I, this issue. Yeah. I do. I, I will say on the quote, I've seen some of those and, um, you know, the, the meme, I think I even saw somewhere and, um, whether people believe it or not, I think there's a lot of, um, and you guys know this because I've shared with you many times. It's part of the reason I even got to know you guys is trying to pursue an answer to this. I think modern Christianity, uh, especially in evangelical, expository, people of the book kind of congregations, of which I've been a part mm-hmm. virtually my whole, in fact, my entire life. Um, I think there is what can happen. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, and I'm not saying that this makes your your faith fraudulent, but you, it is possible to lean so far into the study of God's word, and, it, and that mm-hmm. is absolutely vital. 
that it becomes a knowledge acquisition exercise. Sure. And it becomes an information, just constant consuming information. And I, and I guess at times I've even said, you know, for some of us in in these circles, I mean, we're part of a Bible church here, but for some of us in these kind of circles, if if God hadn't redeemed us and we were still lost, we'd probably be spending our Sundays down at the library, you know, or, or mm-hmm. in some seminar. Or... You don't? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. The secret's out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because yeah. there's just a part of us. Uh, myself dead center of this, there's a part of us that enjoys the consumption processing and, mm-hmm. and, pl- and, and, and wrestling with and we should information and ideas. And, yeah. and it's part of the reason I think, you know, the three of us were talking about who knows what we could be talking about monster trucks one second. And then we're talking about philosophy the next. That's right. Um, but, it, and, and there is a discipline that it, part of being a biblical Christian, there is a discipline of, of, putting our face deep in our mind, deep into God's word mm-hmm. and, and not just acquiring information because that there are a lot of secular scholars out there. I mean, you sure. read about these guys, secular scholars that know the Bible and they have no relationship with its author. In mm. fact, they're cynics and critics and they tear right. it down. Um, so simply knowledge and information about what's on the pages um, is sure. not what saves us, but but it is God has given us His Word to study and to apply, and through the work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, change who we are into who He and who God desires us to be. And so, I would say though, a significant part of that process called sanctification is participation in His church mm-hmm. with one another. Yes. And not just simply sitting there or, or sitting there on Sundays, taking good notes, which we all do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, listeners, what's going on? Are you a believer if you don't take notes? Anyway, my, <laughs> I, I jest. But um, it's not just sitting there taking good notes. And it's not just sitting, it's not doing my personal devotions every day, yeah. which, which all important disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is pursuing one another, showing love for one another, mm-hmm. and not only as a testimony to the world, the lost world around us, but as a glorification of what Christ is doing through in us and yeah. through his spirit in us. So I think that uh, that's why, you know, being we, we are members of one body, you can't, uh, the sanctuary, uh, Tozer's yeah. waxing poetic, yeah. I yes. think, well, right? The sanctuary is within us. Uh, that's true. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but God has not called us to just get saved and then go hang out mm-hmm. as a hermit somewhere. Uh, we are part of a, a living, breathing body, the body of Christ. We are. And and, and Christian community is uh, so important. I know, you know, we talk about this, especially with guys and you hit on some of that. And I, and I think, I mean, I hear all the time from guys, uh, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just feeling very disconnected. I don't, you know, I don't feel like I have any, you know, but I can go talk to you or any, you know, community or relationship or whatever. Um, and more often than not, the same guys are like, so I don't, you know, well, do you have friends in the church? Well, not really. Well, do you go to the men's Bible study or breakfast every month to meet some guys? No, I don't go to that. I don't need those things. I don't feel like I need to go to the Bible study. 
All right. Well, do you hang out after church and visit? Oh no, we go straight home right away. Um, well, do you, are you in a life group? No, we just don't really find that we have a good night of the week to get. And pretty soon you're going, listen, there are lots of opportunities, but you are intentionally not putting yourself in a place to build any kind of relationship with anyone and then expecting that those relationships yes. that other people reach out to you when those people that are actively involved in these other things, they're building relationship with other guys. And You've so got to put effort in. There's got to be some, some discipline, if you will, a little bit put into that. We're not all naturally super relational people. We don't all get charged up by happy being around people all day long. I, I get that. We're wired differently. But especially for the introverts, you've got to put some effort into that. And it's going to yeah. be hard, probably. Well, there's some folks, too, because I've had these conversations repeatedly on this journey that God has taken me on to develop more meaningful Christian friendships, because mm -hmm. I reached a point in my life where I, it wasn't even like I was suddenly lonely or something. I just realized I don't have any Christian friends other than my spouse. I've got all kinds of Christian acquaintances sure. and, you know, I've been actively involved in most churches that we've been a part of. But when it came to the people that that there was a sense of loyalty between us, uh, you know, a friendship, an actual friendship, not an acquaintance, they were all work people from mm -hmm. all over the country because because uh, of the kind of work that I do. And, and it, you know, it's interesting, it kind of struck me. Uh, and I, f I think when the Lord started to reveal to me this area of immaturity in my life mm -hmm. that he needed to begin working on, he was already working on it. But he kind of revealed, suddenly revealed it to me. But this is an area of immaturity. It wasn't an area. And I, you, you mentioned there's guys that need this. I think that's true. But there's also guys that say, oh, I don't need that. But you know what? Your body might need you yeah. to get off your can and put some effort into investing in mm. your church. And that's mm. what I had to do. Guys, mm. like, get off your can. Maybe not those exact words. <laughs> um, but the point being, um, I, I, I got a call. This is going back maybe five years. This is before um, an I've shared with you guys this extensive period of trial that, that we went through, mm -hmm. but bef even before that, we'd recently moved back to the Northwest. Uh, we were in Southern California for a number of years before that we moved a lot, but uh, we were, we'd moved back here to the Northwest uh, in particular to get our kids closer to their uh, extended family, wanted to develop those relationships. And what I found, my phone rang. And it was a guy that I'd worked with on a couple projects years ago. And we just stayed in touch. He's from the Midwest, not a believer. Um, in fact, I guess you could characterize him as a semi-backslidden Jew, maybe, because he doesn't even mm. celebrate the high holidays, goes once in a while sort of a thing. But he called and I hadn't talked to him in a long time, picked up, you know, hey, so-and-so, how's it going? And he said, it's going great. I really wanted to check on you because... I'm seeing on the news all these fires in the Northwest. I don't know exactly where you live, but I was really concerned. Hmm. And I told oh, I'm fine. You know, we got some air quality issues, but we're fine. He's like, oh, good. I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that or something like that. And I realized, good grief. I don't think I've ever had a Christian that I like see at church every week ask me anything other than, hey, how's it going, you know? And I, I realized, and that's kind of what set the, and the Lord used this. I've, I've got a guy that I don't know terribly well, helped each other out in work and whatnot. But this guy went like even thought, the fact that he even thought of me blew me away. 
And so um, that, the Lord used that. And, and of course, the journey continues. But I think what's what the, the point you've you've made so well, Caleb, is whether you feel like you need this or not. It's part of being a believer, being a part of a church community and whether you're comfortable with it or not. It's part something you need to I'm speaking to primarily guys. Mm hmm. Women tend to be a little better at this. How, however, I will say, having talked to certainly Anita and then you know her, some of her friends about this, there's still women that feel very disconnected as well. Mm -hmm. And it's it's something though that takes effort. And and I'm not. And there are folks that are out there that this is really hard. And I mm -hmm. need something. It takes some effort. I will say though to the to the rest of us, when someone does make an effort, do not ignore them. Yes. Yeah. It took some, it took something for them to come up and pursue you. Yeah. Uh, don't let that go. So it's kind yeah, of a, it's a mutual we, thing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we, we want to be, something we've been talking about mm -hmm. on a church level is, you know, is being welcoming and, and, you know, with COVID especially that kind of, kind of made things, you know, where everybody was, you know, come in, come out, don't talk to anybody, don't, you know, but, yeah. but not only do we want to get back, we want to do better about being more welcoming. So if somebody new shows up at a, at a men's breakfast, man, try and engage them, uh, you know, yes. and, uh, and connect with people. If you see somebody mm -hmm. you, you haven't seen before at church, I know it's awkward for us pastors if we're like, hey, are you new here? And they're like, oh, I've been coming here for years, but especially for, uh, for church members, you know. You don't quite have the same, you know. <laughs> well, and with multiple services too, little yeah, challenging. Yeah. I mean, we're doing it for valid reasons. We don't have an auditorium that seats, you know, however many hundred we want people. To, but would be great. Um, by the way, if you're going to do that, please build a gym. Why don't we have a gym? Uh, hint, <laughs> that's hint, what the um, old that's what the old auditorium is going to become. There. Oh, good, good. I mean, we, when I first saw the building project, I thought gym, and then I was like, oh, classrooms, all right, all right. yeah, I can't play volleyball in there. Uh, so I, 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 we got I, a field out back I, for that. There's no volley. I, you I could. <laughs> last night at youth group, we played this game that, by the way, yeah? apologies to Jared if he's listening. I thought this game is going to be so lame. Now, uh, it ended up being I invented boldly. that game, and it was pretty lame <laughs> the first time we played it. And and Jared, to his credit, was like, there's some potential. And he's he's made it into a pretty workable game. It turned I out start to coming be, back on Wednesday nights to come hang It out turned out watch. to be pretty amazing. I will say, lesson learned, I think what kicked it up a notch in particular was Nathan getting out there and just bringing the enthusiasm to it. Yeah. He does um, a good job with that, yeah. But, but having said that, we're running around that field, and man, I almost took a digger five times because it's not the most even field. Uh, however, let's get back to... Yeah, well, we should probably wanna, be wrapping it yes, up. But I do want to interject this. Though. Yes. Okay. And I think this is part of at the root of why sometimes these relationships are hard to form. Okay. And why it happens more often in places like the business world uh, and in the workplace, because those are the guys you shared a mission with. Mm -hmm. Right. That's and true, so right? a lot of guys think about the church as the place they go. And, and unconsciously, it's, it's like required mandatory weekly therapy. Yes. Right. And that's kind of how they view it. This is where I go where I'm supposed to feel vulnerable and then leave feeling better. But I don't know if I actually really feel that. And there are weeks when you are shattered and you come in and that's, that's a huge part of it. But there's a lot of times a guy walks in the room. He's like, I'm not feeling like really touchy, feeling needy <laughs> today. And I'm supposed to be having all of these vulnerable, transparent relationships today. And so this whole thing just feels awkward. And that's so, th so that's your awkward place. Then you go to work and 
and your boss isn't usually walking going, I just really want you to be vulnerable and transparent with me today. Let's, right? your sing, boss let's is, sing together. Yeah. Or yeah. your coworker, he, they're coming in and saying like, here's the challenge. What are you good at? I'm good at this. Good. You fix that part of the challenge. I'll fix this part of the challenge. And then some hours or days or weeks or even years later, we accomplish the challenge. Yeah. And there's a bond that happens there. And I think that's one of the things that we want to shift in the church. And it's one of the reasons I enjoy spending this time with you is because we have a common mission. Amen. Like I'm raising children, you're raising children, you're raising children. That's a big part of our mission because we are discipling the next generation together and the stakes are high. We're all involved in the same church. And we understand that Christ's work in this world is through the church, that this is the only hope there is for all those people that we love in this community around us is that they would see the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share that mission. We're trying to vocationally and flesh our theology and whatever tasks God has given us for the day. That's a shared mission. And we come and we can talk and we can fellowship and, and that relationship becomes different. And this is somewhat peculiar to guys not exclusive, but I think somewhat peculiar to guys, that sense of shared mission, I think is where the real relationships happen. Hmm. And it's a pet peeve of mine that a lot of times churches think that the way they solve the problem you were describing is, well, we need to get all the guys to go hike a mountain together Mm -hmm. or get all the guys to just go shooting together. And what those things are fine. Those things are fine, but they're trying to create a surrogate faux mission Mm -hmm that guys can share to try to create something they can bond around. But if your bond is around a fake war, you have a fake brotherhood, mm. right? And instead of saying, no, that, yeah, go out and go shooting for an afternoon or go out and do this physical activity or competition or whatever for your afternoon, that's, that's fine. Enjoy that. That's, that's fun. But what should make you look around at these guys and say, we're brothers is not that we survived some really quirky team building exercise course or something, but that we are committed to the mission of being disciples of Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ in tangible external, as well as internal ways. And these are the guys I rise and fall with in my leg of the, of the Mm -hmm. Christian journey. And so that's, that's something I would love to see recaptured Mm -hmm. by the church today is that sense. And frankly, the persecution we're starting to at least have threatened, if not experienced here as much, it's going to be really good for that. Mm-hmm. And what, well, it already has been, I think. I mean, we're been. seeing that yeah. even with some of the guys in our church coming. Right. We're going we're gonna to stand together for truth. But I think no a very what. surprising byproduct of, yes. of the threat or even the reality of persecution is actually going to be male relationships take off in the church in a way that hasn't been seen hmm. in a long, long time. Let me layer some ganache in that cake you're baking over there. You do it. And then, um, uh, then we'll let Kayla get the final word on the segment. We'll, put some, we'll let Kayla put the fun oh. down on it, make it look pretty. The, um, I think you're spot on. If, if it's just an activity, doesn't go very far. But I think if you can, if you can weave in mission oriented themes, content, into some activities. I, I, I think, I think it can make a difference. I think, I think the mm-hmm. activities are important, but they're just chum in the water, right? It's, it's something mm-hmm. that can, that brings people together, but sure. making, making the mission. And of course the mission is our Lord Jesus Christ in his purpose, making that a part of it in some way, extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, there've been guys, Christian guys, good guys that um, I I've pursued and they've actually told me, Hey, if you ever wanted to do this particular activity, I'm in. 
Hmm. but not interested in anything else. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not a cruise director here. You know, am I here to, know, to right? organize your entertainment schedule? No, I, I mean, sure. It, well, you know what kind of a youth group they went to? I think so. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. But I, and you know, they've been taught that's the Christian good life. And I got to hmm. say too, there's an element to this when you're putting effort in and we could always put more effort in, but I, you know, that's, that could be said about anything when you're putting effort in, Sometimes I, you guys might feel differently, but sometimes you put an effort in and I'm just, there's no interest on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, maybe this is immaturity in me that the Lord needs to, that will, the Lord will continue to, to change. But there's part of me, it's like, I'm, I got to move on. I've only yeah. got so much time. And, and, and for me, the sense of urgency mm-hmm. Is, is, is certainly to some extent, my peers, you, my peers, there's a sense of urgency, but the other sense of urgency is I don't, Mm -hmm. I think this is an area of dysfunction Mm -hmm. that has bubbled up and become part of the culture in, in our churches, godly men that don't know anybody. I think it's more pervasive than we're ready to admit. When I say don't know anybody, Mm -hmm. don't know anybody in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. There are a few examples, but they are few and far between by and large. And I think back to a few months ago, we had our first men's breakfast coming out of pandemic. And, and after the talk sitting there at our round tables, uh, using the, the little questions there, ask the guys at the table. And there was only one guy younger than me. And it was, it was Jack, my son, (laughs) everybody else is older. Some, by probably my parents' age. <laughs> yeah. In your life, who, you know, we we're using that Paul Barnabas, Timothy right. analogy, but basically in your life, who's, who has stepped in and invested in you uh, from a mentorship standpoint, a discipleship standpoint, where it wasn't just sitting under someone's teaching, but there was a relationship at play. You knew that there was a special relationship, um, that, you know, this is someone that was in a sense, whether they called a mentor or not, someone that meant it was a meaningful relationship. Not one guy at the table had any examples. One guy said my dad a little bit when I was younger. And that's my example, my dad, when Mm. I was younger, but as we enter into adulthood, that just Mm. evaporates. And so I think this is an area of dysfunction. Uh, As I've looked to older Mm. guys, even here in our church to ask them, how do you do this? A lot of them said, I don't know. Um, and so, so I think my point being the urgency I feel mm-hmm. isn't just for your benefit, Chris, or your benefit, Caleb, or mm. my benefit. The urgency my feel is our boys are growing up into this same dysfunction. Mm. And I don't want our kids to grow up, especially if, as the culture darkens and becomes more aggressive and actively aggressive against Christianity, um, you, you don't see a lot of lawsuits against Muslim bakers out there. Um, mm. FYI, um, it's, it's an active mm-hmm. pursuit against us and, and what we believe as the culture darkens. I don't want our kids, especially our young men to grow up, grow up in a great youth program, which we have amazing investment of teaching and resources mm-hmm. and time, uh, for our young people go off to college where there's probably, probably depending on where they go, some programs and specifically architected to support them in the discipleship journey, graduate college. And then all of a sudden, I mean, people talk about, you know, I'm worried about our youth. I'm like, you mean like people that are 22 years old and just graduated because now you're kind of on your own. Um, that's the age I think that is critical. So I don't want our boys to, to and, and our girls, but particularly I'm thinking of our guys right now too, to grow up in this sense of, I go to church, I've got a relationship with God, but, um, 
I don't. Okay. That's it. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and put in and, and frame the Tozier quote, the sanctuary sure. is within me. <laughs> you know, sure. I've been a little sarcastic there, but I think it's an area of desperate need yeah. um, that we're a part of. And, and I, and I thank God that he's leading I mean, our personalities are different. There's three mm-hmm. of us, but there's so many other guys in the church, different personalities, mm-hmm. different backgrounds. But I get a sense in talking with guys that that God's working in all of us in this area and not only to build each other up, um, but also to so that our, our young people can actually look at us and learn. Oh, that's how you do that. Um, but it oh. takes effort and sure. uh, and it takes a little bit of courage uh, because stepping out there and, and feeling slightly vulnerable, mm-hmm. even for a few seconds, asking somebody, hey, can we get together for lunch sometime? Uh, you got to you got to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are asked, my goodness, please, people, please say yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it took yeah. some guts for someone to step out there and ask you anyway. Amen. Boy, have I, uh, I've been pounding on the pulpit over that's here. That's good. I, well, I knew uh, it would get you pounding, and that's part <laughs> yes. of the reason I wanted to bring it up. Um, and this is your segment I'm talking to. Mike. It's all right. No, you're doing great. No, you did a good job. I, yeah, I think my final pushback is just since we're, you Ooh, know. Push back. We took, well, not push back against Nate, against this quote okay. from Tozer, uh, you know, an hour and 20 now. So we, we've taken... We did only do one episode, but it's two yep. episodes of length. There you go. <laughs> so. Now with 50% more episode. <laughs> no extra 100% more episode. I think is the way that <laughs> works. We're really uh, confusing uh, our audience now. They're like, I but, thought you were going to do one show, but it's twice as long. <laughs> <laughs> and you only talked about three topics. <laughs> you wanted to talk I'm more. Gypped. Um, but, uh, but it's just, you know, if you look throughout history, <laughs> yes, it's true. You, you, if you, if you burn the building, if you, Kick the the Christians out of the synagogue. Um, yes, they do. Uh, they do have to leave. They leave, right? Mm-hmm. And and yes, there's a truth to the fact that they're individual worshippers, but worshippers gather to worship. Yes. And throughout history, they they maybe gathered in houses at first, and then as they grew, they bought a bigger house to just use mm-hmm. for worship. Yep. And then they built buildings to gather together to worship. And you could say, well, in China, there's the church is growing exponentially. Yes, they're gathering. And yes. if they could gather together, they don't. When well, they're they, asked, they do they don't build buildings. And then the government buildings. bulldozes them. Yes, and then they meet in small <laughs> venues. But if they could gather, all of them, they mm-hmm. would. Or more of them, they would. If they could build a big yes. building, they would. Yeah. They're not doing that because they're like, oh, yeah, I don't really need the church. Having considered no, the options, we need let's to do this. <laughs> yes. It was choosing not to die today. We'll <laughs> yeah. And there's there's value to smaller to smaller uh, you know groups of believers, mm-hmm. pockets of believers. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody uh, contributes and gets involved you know, on different levels. That's why we have things like life group. Obviously, if you're in a church of 500, 600, uh, 3,000, whatever mm-hmm. people, uh, you can't have community with everyone, um, but that's why we need to, to have things and ministries like that. And, and, uh, plant anyway. your flag. I need to plant your flag somewhere. And plant that's important to say, to other this flags. is my, this is, these are my people. Is this, this is a my shameless body. segue into membership. Is that where we're in with uh, the flag? Not today. Okay. All right. We don't have time. Not today. Not today. Yeah. today. All right. All yep. right. You close us off. You we got are something? Gonna close us off. Yes. We do thank you for joining us for this. Again, we'd love to hear feedback from you on what we've discussed or even just this format or other ideas of what might make this more helpful. Uh, to you guys as our listeners, again, we, we do this podcast because we are hopeful that it will encourage and edify us to be more like Christ, but also to be a blessing to our families and, and those that we know and love. Uh, so if there's ways that we can improve, let us know. You can do that by sending us an email, bombadillsporch at gmail.com, leaving us a voicemail at bombadillsporch.com. 
Uh, we would also encourage you, uh, hopefully with this quote from Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, we started talking about uh, freedom of speech. And I think in some ways that theme of speaking truth with courage uh, carried through a lot of our segments. And so this is actually a quote from a lady, Maria Wittner, who was from the 1956 Hungarian uprising against Soviet occupation. And she said, you will be surrounded by lies. You don't have a choice. And that is so true of the world we live in. Uh, the God behind this world's schemes is a liar. Mm -hmm. But her encouragement was don't assimilate to it. It's an individual decision for each person. If you want to live in fear or if you want to live in the freedom of the soul, if your soul is free, then your thoughts are free and then your words are going to be free. Free words are true words. And so from mm. all of us here at the porch, we wish you a day of truth in your speech and in your actions. <laughs>